Amen. Give the Lord praise tonight. Amen. Isn't he good? Aren't you thankful that he's your cornerstone tonight in everything that you go through? Listen, I just want to welcome everybody that's watching online tonight. Welcome you guys that are here tonight for this service. What, what a great time we've had already with God's the worship and just sharing with the testimony of what God is doing in southwest Missouri. And just an exciting time. Amen. God is always working, and I'm so thankful to be a part of his plan. We are a part of God's plan if you are here tonight. Amen? Let me just hear you say amen. Yes, so we're going to get into the Word of God tonight. The title of my message tonight is called Just Stand. Just Stand. Now, I'm not asking you to stand, so just in case you were wanting to know, but just stand. Let me begin by saying this, that if you go to the book of 2 Samuel, verse 23, or chapter 23, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice that David was honoring some men that helped establish his kingdom. And really the kingdom of God, if you begin to think about it and look at it very closely. Now some of these guys, I believe, were amazing guys. And if you look into scripture, you will see just a few things. Some of the things that you'll see about these men, they were called David's mighty men. Have you ever read about David's mighty men? Just some really cool guys. I know that would probably just be hanging out with you, having a great time, but they were pretty cool guys. Now let me just come mention a few of these guys. One name was this, Joseph Bathsebeth. And I like to just say this, Joseph Bathsebeth, that's a pretty, how much would you like to be named that? Don't name your kids that, okay? Everybody with me on that one. I just call him Bassman. Okay, it's a fishing name, but the word literally means there is a Lord. And he's an amazing guy because he was a guy that went with David and going out to fight. In a, he was Israelite, of course, and he was going out to fight. But he is known for doing this, killing 800 men in one encounter. Pretty amazing. If you begin to read scripture even more, you'll run across a guy by the name of Eleazar that was again one of David's mighty men, but he was known for going with David to taunt the Philistines. Wouldn't you like to see that? Wouldn't you like to see the recap video of David taunting the Philistines and here is Eleazar with him and here's the amazing thing about Eleazar. When all the troops from the Israelites fled, Eleazar stood and he began to fight, and he fought so long, so hard, that it says that his hands froze to the sword. That's an amazing thing. Another man that was fighting, that was doing all that he could, was a man by the name of Shema. It says this, that he was taunting the Philistines, and it says something very interesting in Scripture, that he was in a field of lentils. Now that's an amazing thing because when you begin to think about that, he was in a field of lentils. I would just call that a modern day P, P-E-A. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but I cannot stand peas. Anybody with me? Now some of you may love them, but you know they make that layered salad and they put those green peas in there. I don't know if it's the taste. I don't know if it's that the way. I don't know what it is, but I just don't like them. But it says that this Shema guy stood in a field and defended a field of peas. I kind of like that. I don't know. There's something about that that says, listen, as the Philistines are coming and all that, he is saying literally this, stay out of my pea patch. I don't want you to come any closer. Now, we would think, why in the world is he defending a pea patch? Well, here's why. Because that, in that day and age, when you were off to war, when you were fighting, food obviously was very important. You didn't go down to your Chick-fil-A 
and order food and say, hey, we got to fight about four o'clock this afternoon. No, you took whatever you had. He defended a whole field of peace. Now think about this. We are soldiers in a war today. We are called by God to defend not a pea patch, but our families. We are called to defend a city, a nation, a church, our friends, that we don't want the culture to invade. And I love what pastor's been preaching on Sunday mornings about culture, is that someone has to stand, and that's you and I. No one else is going to stand but you and I. So when we're called to defend that, how many is with me that, yes, we've got to stand in time of need? Amen? Why don't you give the Lord just a, a thanks for that, right? As you begin to think about that, we're called to do that. That's who he's called us to be. So let me turn in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight, and we're going to talk about the armor of God. I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but let me just read a few verses, and that's going to be our launching point into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, you've heard it, it's the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Amen? What is that? We know this, that the book of Ephesians was written, I believe, I call it the relational book, because it helps us form our understanding of what it means to have relationships within our church, within our marriages, within people in society, with their friends, and it begins to speak to us on a very personal level. And it helps guide those conversations. It helps guide our understanding of what that really means. Why do we stand and fight? I believe that we stand and fight in this world because of this. It's our world system. It's the culture that is with us and in us right now because of, of this. We are bombarded on every side by advertisements, promotions, products, enticements of all sorts and of all kinds, and it seems to never end. Think about it this way. When you turn on your television, you're going to see an al alcohol advertisement, and when you begin to see that advertisement, it's going to talk about all the great things, and they may even throw up these pictures of having a great time at the beach and all these great things that are going on, but you know what? They don't tell you about the repercussions of someone that is an alcoholic. Are you understanding me tonight? What they don't tell you is according to the Center for D Disease and Prevention that every day 29 people die in car accidents because of alcohol-related subjects that's going on. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you what is really happening about every 50 minutes someone dies because of an alcohol-related issue and it costs us about $44 billion in expense every year. You see, when they promote the sex and all of that on TV, they don't tell you this part of it. They don't tell you that in 2015 that 639,169 babies were aborted. They don't tell you that for every 1,000 births, uh, there's 188 abortions. They don't tell you that. 
Because when you begin to look a little deeper, you begin to understand there's some real shame. There's some real guilt. There's some difficult things that are taking place, and it's all out there for us to see. And we just begin to think, oh no, what, what is going on? It's the culture, and we better hope that the culture doesn't begin to shape the church and what we live in. Amen? For sure, the world is tempting. It, it appears to me to be much easier to be much happier and all these great things without God but that is not true you see the greatest thing that we could ever have is a relationship with Jesus Christ and these acts that are taking place on every um every you open the newspaper and you begin to see all the horrible acts that are taking place why would men begin to load on a plane and fly into the world trade center because it's demonic that's why it's awful. It's evil. Why does that happen? Well, I know this, that the devil's game is to do this, to distract, to disrupt, and destroy. That's what he does. You can look into the Bible. You can look into John 10, chapter verses uh, 10 through 11, and you'll see this. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the mission statement of the enemy. But when you begin to look at it, there's a mission statement from Jesus Christ right here. It says this, I have come that they may have life and have more abundant life and have it to the full. But if you read verse 11, it also says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Always look to the good shepherd. In his book, Fuzzy Memories, Jack Handy writes this. He says, there used to be this bully who would demand my lunch money every day. Since I was smaller, I would just give it to him. Then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons. But the instructor wanted $5 a lesson. That's a lot of money, he said. I found that it was cheaper to pay the bully, so I gave up karate. Here's what's happened. Too many Christians believe it's easier to pay the bully than learn how to defeat him, than to learn who he is, than to learn what's going on with the, the enemy. You have to know the enemy that is in front of you. You have to know exactly what's going on. Might I add this, that many Christians don't realize that they, they are living on a battlefield instead of Disney World. You're in a battle every day. I don't want to make it seem scary or seem like, oh no, what's going on? But I'm just telling you, that's the reality of what we live in. Jesus even said, listen, the Christian life's not going to be easy. John 16, In this world, guess what? You will have trouble. Paul, writing to Timothy, said this, endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, Paul begins to talk about this weapons of warfare and in the midst of spiritual battle. Paul used these words like warfare, weapons, soldier, because he knew that we were in a battle. You are in a battle. If you don't know it already, you are. But the good thing is, you win. We win. But when you begin to see that, you begin to think, oh no, what am I going to do? Well, there's just a couple things. If you want to just stand in the midst of a battle in life, whatever you're going through in life, however hard it may seem, can I give you just a couple pointers? Number one would just be this. You must get it. What do I mean by that? It says in verses 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Stop right there. It gives us the key right there in that scripture, in that small verse, be strong in his mighty power. You see, when you look at the book of Ephesians, you have to understand that when this writer, Paul, is writing, he's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. It's the Christian believer who needs the charge. And so when he talks about this, if you want to conquer the enemy or beat the bully, I guess you could say, you have to listen and obey the scripture. Now here are just a couple things to remember when you are going to get it. Number one is this, the believer must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What does that mean exactly? When you take those words and you break those words down in the Greek, what you really see the word strong means, it means this, it means power, it means might and strength. The Lord's power means his sovereign, and I like this, his unlimited power. You see, when you're with Jesus Christ, he has unlimited power just for you. When you look at his might, it means this, it means his strength, his force, his ability. It means his ability to use his strength and force, and I love this word, wisely. You know exactly when to use it. You know when to to move forward in his strength and his ability. You see, maybe the problem is that we've become so good conquering evil in the video games that we forget that life really takes real strength, real might, and real power. That's what's real. And we got to have a good understanding of what real life is about. Second Timothy kind of tells us and shares with us just a little bit more of how do we walk through life. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. That's how I walk. That's how I function. That's how I live my life with him, is that I'm going to live in this power, love, and self-discipline. Now, the second thing is the believer must know the enemy. You've got to know and understand the enemy. I I remember years ago, I mean years ago, my kids were were small at the time, I'm guessing um, probably four and five. And, And I remember coming home one afternoon, and when we came home, I looked on the counter, and the counter was covered with ants. You ever had that, like, ant infestation? And I'm, I mean literally hundreds of them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't, where are these things coming from? And if you followed them, you would see that there's hundreds of ants on the table, and there was this trail, and I'm like, my goodness, where's this trail going? And here's what I learned. We had to have some guy come over and, of course, spray the house. But he goes over, and he, when he comes, he was so informational, he says, you know what? These are like these fruit ants. You ever heard of a fruit ant or something like that? That's what he called them. And he literally, he killed one. He pushed his finger on it. He killed it. And then he smelled it. And I'm like, it smelled like fruit. I'm not kidding you. It was great protein. Great on ice cream. Just joking. But you know what I'm saying? And so he began to show us all these, all these things. He says, you know what? If you want to kill the ants, you know all you have to do? You have 409 in the house? I said, yeah, we got 409. You get 409, you sprayed them, I mean, just killed them on contact, wiped out the trail because those ants will follow a trail to food and it communicates back to the homeland. I don't know where they're living and somewhere around the house, in the house. And so we wiped them out. And so I, he said, let me look at your outside and see kind of what you have for, um, we had these sandstones as our uh, just outside as far as landscaping. He says, you know what? They love the, the sandstone. They get under that and they live under that. And he, he literally pulls back a rock. And I'm telling you, thousands of ants are in there. So we're just spraying them. I said, so the girls came home one time. They're kind of intrigued by this. Dad, what are you doing? Spraying ants. Oh, I want to do that. 
I said, well, let's go. So we went on an ant hunting trip around the house with the girls. I said, come on, let's spray them. Let's go get them. And so we started just turning over rocks and begin to spray them. And, and all, I mean, they loved it. I couldn't believe how excited they were about ant hunting. I mean, how many ant hunters do you know? Not many, right? My girls can do ant hunting. I'm just, they're skilled at it. But here's what we did know. By that guy coming to the house, I know this. I know how ants work. <laughs> I, know, I know where they live. I know how they function. And so <laughs> we know this. We knew our enemy. You see, the enemy's primary objective is to get you to doubt the word of God. Scriptures have warned us that it's Satan's style, listen to this, to accuse us before our God day and night. Revelations chapter 12 and 10. How do you come, overcome the enemy? You overcome the enemy by this, the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. And so all of a sudden you begin to learn that Satan's accusations, they function on a few levels here. Let me share them with you really quickly. The enemy accuses God to us. How does he do that? Satan will point to the way God is fathering us and he will say, look at how God is treating you. His accusations always sound like your own voice and your own thoughts, but they're actually his thoughts interjected into your mind. You say this, I can't believe God is making me go through all of this. You may even say this, God's a tyrant. There's nothing good about the way he's treating me. How can I possibly trust him when he's handling me this way? He's not fulfilling his promises to me. I don't think he, will, he ever will. But listen very close. Listen to this. Satan wants us to adopt an accusatory posture toward God. Now here's how you can overcome. That's why loving God in the midst of your pain is so powerful spiritually because you're doing warfare against Satan's schemes. You see how that connects? The second thing is the enemy accuses us to God. He tells God in our hearing what failures we are. He, reaccount, he recounts all our shortcomings in like this technicolor. We begin just to see it in our mind and in full detail. He paints us as being an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Yet God, he is not phased in the least by what Satan begins to plant in our minds. We begin to wonder this, is God mad at us? So here's what I need to tell you. If our hearts are not established in grace, we can feel dislodged from the love of God that he has for us. Our hearts has to be right in where grace is meeting us. That's where we live. That's where we function. I know a family right now. They do not live here, but they are going through it. This lady that I know, I mean, they're probably in their late 30s, mid-30s. And the wife lost the, her mom um, in April of this year, integral part of their life, just 55 years of age and lost, went in the hospital. Two weeks later, she is gone and did everything for the family. I mean, took the kids places, did things with them. Her life, thank God, was radically changed, but they're going through it. Just a month ago, they found out that their 14-year-old daughter has a brain tumor right in the middle of her brain. But you know what? When I read on Facebook, when I begin to listen, you know what they do? They have established their hearts in grace, and they only sing praises to God. Do they have questions? They sure do. Or do they get angry at times? They sure do. But listen, they love God. They're not accusing God. They're loving God. 
through the hurt of their life. That's how you overcome, by the word of your testimony and what you believe. Why does the enemy, why does the enemy so desperately want to wage war against us? Have you ever thought of that? Why does he do that to us? Because we are receiving by grace what Satan tried to take by force. We are living in grace. His grace is so powerful in us and for us and through us. And that's what we have to understand, that we're receiving all this. The second thing is this, very quickly, you must wear it. It's the full armor of God. Think about how you dress in the morning. Think about how you leave your house. You go dressed and ready for the day. Maybe you don't think about how you dress for the day. I mean, just look at your neighbors. See how they're dressed. I mean, grade them right now in your mind. I'm just joking. Don't do that. You go to church, sometimes you wear a suit and a tie. Sometimes you're in jeans. So I don't know what you're wearing, but you begin to think about what you're wearing based upon the day that is ahead And so we are to put on the armor, every piece of that armor, intentionally and meticulously and consistently in our life. You see, Paul says there's another way to look at the believer's life in Christ. The believer's life is a battlefield, and what you wear each day, what you do with that each day, is going to determine how your day may go. That is why the armor is so important in life. You see, when you think about the armor of God and what you're supposed to put on, how you're supposed to wear it, and what you're supposed to wear, you begin by just saying this, the armor, you put on the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Why do you put on the belt of truth? It is just simply something that soldiers would wear upon around their waist. It anchored the rest of the armor that was placed on the body, usually made of leather and metal, but it just helped to strengthen and support the body, and they would put this on each day. The breastplate of righteousness, it was this heavy garment, also made of leather, also clad in metal, and it was for those flaming arrows, those things that would uh, close range attacks by a spear or a knife, and they would wear this. And this breastplate of righteousness could do this. It could withstand the mightiest of blows in life, but it protected the soldier's upper body. They had feet fitted with readiness. It referred to the foot covering. It was the sandals that were actually laced up to about the knees and sometimes covered with metal. And what it would begin to share and say is this, that sometimes they would put spikes in the bottom of those shoes so a soldier could just stand his ground when pushed against. Think about that. You would resist any force that would come your way. The shield of faith in God. The word shield does not mean the small round shield, but it was more of an oblong, pretty big shield that a soldier literally could hide his whole body behind, and when arrows would come, he would hide behind it. And it would deflect anything that was coming his way. Fiery darts, arrows, whatever it may be. And then there was the helmet of salvation, covered the head and the mind of the soldier. One of the most important parts because it was from the mind that he would begin to think, that he could begin to calculate, he could begin to move forward in his ability, determining victory or defeat in his life. And then we all know the sword of the spirit, the primary offensive weapon in the army's arsenal, the sword. Now, we always think of this massive sword, but really, really in, in, 
in all honesty, it was a shorter sword where he could really maneuver it quite quickly, and he was able to do that and make quick jabs and be able to defend and be able to move offensively in front. And we know that a sword, of course, is the Word of God. We have the Word of God to lead us forward. But why do we have that? Well, first of all, you've got to get it. You've got to understand that your strength comes from the Lord, that your strength can come from this armor, that all this strength that God's God has made available is for you today. Here's what we don't realize. We think because we're, we, we are wired this way that, you know what, if I'm a Christian for maybe, maybe four or five years that God's going to give me the belt of truth. Maybe if I accomplish this much for the Lord, he's going to give me the breastplate of righteousness. But what the word says is this, is that has been made available to each and every one of us at all times. All we have to do is pick it up and put it on. Why do we put it on? Because the importance of putting it on each day so that we can live this life, so that we can walk through life as the enemy begins to accuse us before God and God before us, we have to understand that we've been given so much more and God helps us in those times that he unfolds for our life. Amen? And so he begins to help us. He begins to guide us. And that's what I love about the Word of God because it's living, it's active, And it helps us in time of need. And it's going to help you in time of need as well. Would you simply do this? Could you just bow your head before an almighty God? And maybe you are here tonight and you would just say this and think this, that you know what? As God has spoken to me in worship, as he's spoken to me, Through this word tonight, maybe you are going through something and you don't know how to go through it, what to do. Maybe it's just overwhelming to you. Could I simply just say that maybe would you look at the armor of God and see if it's something that maybe you need to put on tonight? Maybe as you begin to see, you know what, I've been having those thoughts and those feelings, everything that you talked about tonight of of the enemy accusing me before God and having those thoughts of, God, are you there? God, and you having those particular things go through your mind, can I just say this? If you will turn that over to him, if you'll simply just come and lay that before him, I know this, he's a great God, he is a good God, and he wants to help you in time of need. And sometimes it's simply just a matter of obedience to his word, scripture, his voice tonight, and saying, you know what, I'm going to lay it at his feet tonight. That's what I'm going to do tonight. Would you stand with me tonight? And we're going to take just a few moments as we begin to respond to this altar. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, Brad's going to begin to sing. And as he sings, I want you to come forward. Whatever it may be, whatever it may be, whether it's salvation that you know you need a God in your life and you want to accept him in your life, or maybe it's just God speaking to you and you need to come and connect your faith with someone down here, or maybe you need healing in your body, in your life. You have a specific need that you want prayer for. I want to encourage you to come down. But first, let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your goodness tonight. We thank you for those that are right here in this room, those watching online, whatever they may be going through, We know this, that you are an almighty God. You are all powerful. You can help us in time of need. And God, that we may be having those thoughts in our minds that, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it. But, Lord, you're going to help us tonight. As we respond to you and respond to this altar, I pray right now there would be no fear in this place, that fear would be gone. But, Lord, faith would begin to rise up. 
rise up in every heart, in every life in here, and know, Lord, that we can respond to you. So, Lord, we pray that as Brad begins to sing, you begin to draw people to this place tonight as we begin to pray and connect our faith with you. It's in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You come. If you need prayer tonight, I want to encourage you right now to come down and pray. It's who I am. Oh, it's who I am.
Amen. Don't we serve a great God? He loves each and every one of us. And I want to encourage you with that this week, that you begin to put on the armor. I'm actually going to finish this sermon at the end of the month. And we got two more points that we're going to go through. But I believe it's important that we understand how God works in our life. The, the tools that are available to us in his word. And, the pe- and you may say, this isn't for me. I, I, but it may be for someone that you know this week. It may be for someone that you're going to encounter tomorrow, tonight. It doesn't matter. But God's going to give you an opportunity to use the tools that you've gained. Amen? So we're going to pray for that. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your goodness. Thank you for those that are here tonight, Lord, to hear your word, to be challenged by your word. But God, that we can utilize the tools, God, from your word in our lives to help ourselves and to help others. Give us opportunity as we go tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Go in his grace and go in his peace.